Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking here on Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. We are now under two weeks until Election Day, November 8th, 2022, in these very consequential elections that include contests for governor, uh, U.S. Congress, state Senate, state assembly, and more. Today, we are talking about the Working Families Party of New York, and that party was formed back in 1998 by a coalition of community and labor organizations, activists, progressive elected officials that were seeking more progressive representation in government that would center working people with policies to support organized labor, fight inequality, and make other changes and take on other challenges. The party has taken a number of twists and turns over the years, of course, locally in New York City, across New York State, and expanding beyond uh, in other states and localities. Though it is its own political party, the Working Families Party is often a player in Democratic primaries, backing progressive candidates and offering them various levels of support, guidance, and resources. Much of the Working Families Party's prominence here in New York has been felt in the elections such as Letitia James to the city council, Bill de Blasio as mayor of New York City, many progressive city council members and state legislators in recent years, and of course, most famously, perhaps, its battles with then-Governor Andrew Cuomo. The Working Families Party is not only active in elections, but of course, in policy discussions as well. As part of those battles with Cuomo, the WFP in 2018 endorsed a Democratic primary opponent to Cuomo in Cynthia Nixon, but ultimately gave Cuomo its general election ballot line for the third and final time after he won that primary, in part so as to not potentially play a spoiler role in the general election by running its own candidate and taking progressive votes from the Democratic nominee and helping foster a Republican victory. One result of that long-running feud between Cuomo and the WFP were new political party ballot access requirements that the former governor pushed through, aimed at possibly costing the WFP and other smaller parties their automatic ballot status. As of 2020 in New York, a political party with a ballot line has to have its candidates for president and governor get at least 130,000 votes or 2% of all votes cast for the office, whichever is greater in each election. Parties must meet these requirements every two years. So for president in 2020 and now governor this year and so on. Under previous rules, parties were only required to get 50,000 votes in gubernatorial elections every four years. So for the 2020 presidential election in New York, the WFP and other parties scrambled to hold their ballot lines. The Working Families Party put forth a major campaign to get New Yorkers, mostly Democrats, to vote for Joe Biden on its ballot line, and they were successful in keeping it. Thanks to the outcome of that election, New York officially recognizes four political parties right now, Democratic, Republican, Conservative, and Working Families. But now another election is upon us, and the New York Working Families Party must again keep its ballot line. This time, after endorsing Jamani Williams for governor in the Democratic primary, the party is now urging its supporters to vote for Kathy Hochul on its ballot line in the general election, where she is, of course, facing Republican and conservative party nominee Lee Zeldin. We happen to be speaking here 
on the day after the what is expected to be the lone Hokel Zeldin debate. I'll point you to another episode of the podcast, which we recorded right after that debate late in the evening on Tuesday, October 25th, breaking down what we heard. I was joined by two great guests, Dr. Christina Greer, political science professor at Fordham University, and Casey Seiler, the editor of the Times Union of Albany. So check that out. Also at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts, or it's at the Gotham Gazette website. My guest here today is Sochi Nemica, the director of the New York Working Families Party. She will discuss the effort of the WFP to again keep its ballot line, the race for governor, as well as other races in New York where the WFP is especially active in this major general election campaign season and more my conversation with Sochi Nemica in just one moment. Very briefly, I'll point you to our debate analysis podcast episode and then a variety of others. I've had some great guests and conversations in recent weeks and months. Again, you can find those all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. And I'll quickly also point you to the Gotham Gazette website for our reporting, of course, on this major election cycle coverage of Mayor Eric Adams and the New York City Council, lots of policy reporting, and much more. All right. Sochi Nemica, director of the New York Working Families Party, is with me. Sochi, welcome. How are you? I'm wonderful. So glad to be on with you. Thanks for having me. So thanks for being here. Um, Before we dive into everything that's happening with the Working Families Party, we are talking here the day after this debate between Hulk and Zeldin. Um... Any big big takeaways for you from that debate? What are you sitting with um, here as we speak the day after? Um, how are you thinking about how the two candidates for governor in this year's election presented their ideas and their stances and their visions and their values? What stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, in, in this gubernatorial contest as a party, we're obviously in a coalition with the Democratic Party and the governor. Um, even though we endorsed Jumani Williams in the primary, because there's no question um, who we prefer between the sitting governor and Lee Zeldin and the GOP. I think what Lee Zeldin demonstrated yesterday was the um, extremism, the shallowness, uh, and the reactionary politics that fuel his campaign. Um, he is full of sound bites and fear mongering. Uh, and completely absent of vision uh, in this moment where working people across the state are really looking um, for leadership and clarity. Uh, We see the GOP playbook, which is basically about um, fueling the sense of uh, deep instability, deep insecurity, uh, and terror in working people uh, and failing to put forth a, a path forward. We know that his ideas are not actually popular in New York, but they are really succeeding in animating a base that feels disconnected and disengaged in this political moment. So I think it's really up to Democrats and progressives to push back on our own terms, to speak really to what matters most to working people in this moment, rising costs, um, uh, in particular, uh, the future of, of climate, the future of people's neighborhoods and schools, uh, and ensure that New York actually stays a place where working people feel like they have a future. Uh, but it was a pretty concerning performance for someone who seeks to be governor of New York State. 
So what about on, on, on your side of the equation? What do you like that you're hearing from Kathy Hochul? Um, what are a couple of things that maybe you're hearing from her that are still giving you pause? Um, are there ways in which she you think she is articulating um, a good alternative vision to the one you just criticized that Zeldin's putting forward? Are there ways that you think she's she's struggling to do that in ways you you know you'd like to see more from her and and perhaps other Democratic leaders on some of these issues that you're talking about? Well, I think what is clear is that the governor is um, committed to pursuing some investments in uh, social supports. Right, we saw this here. Her uh, expanding childcare access, for example. We saw this year her um, uh, intense defense of abortion rights in New York State, ensuring that fundamental rights are not completely eroded um, in our country and our state can actually be a um, beacon for you know, bodily autonomy and really model what that looks like um, here. I think what we also know in this moment is that there are many popular ideas in New York State that we have to turn into a legislative agenda. Um, in many ways, the state has been and is being governed to the right of where the people are. Um, taxing the rich is incredibly popular to New Yorkers. Um, universal health care, regardless of employment status or documentation, actually pulls incredibly well for New Yorkers. And so we do think there's a path for Democrats in office to embrace these populist um, and widely shared, widely shared ideas. That is possible with the Hochul administration. That is impossible with the Zeldin administration, um, who is calling for even bigger tax cuts to the rich uh, when working people are again struggling to make uh, to pay their rent. Uh, a Zeldin who voted against same-sex marriage in New York State, who voted to defund Planned Parenthood. So we're not even talking about a potential governing coalition with a right-wing extremist um, governor who fundamentally is opposed to a multiracial democracy. Um, right now in New York State, having you know a triple blue majority and leadership gives us a path to actually address the housing crisis, uh, to actually address the underfunding of our schools and our higher education system. And uh, the governor is speaking uh, to the promise of some of those things that we know as a movement, and we know as progressive and progressive Democrats that we have to push and work on together come January. Coming out of the primary, um, you know, I think there was a lot of questioning on the left about, you know, Jamani Williams's performance in the primary. There was there was a lot of, um, you know, sort of challenges of, of really whipping up, I think, a lot of sort of excitement for his campaign and to, um, you know, sort of the the absence of the the Cuomo rivalry for the left and the in the sort of center of the Democratic Party was 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 felt. Um, you know, I think there was something around sort of exhaustion among lots of, of voters and activists, perhaps. Um, but how are you sort of thinking about the reset coming out of the primary, the relationship with Kathy Hochul that you were, you know, clearly going to get behind her in the general election? How are you sort of thinking about that reset, what it what it meant for the Working Families Party and the progressive movement and how the relationship with with Hochul was going to sort of play into that next phase after the primary. So I think what was so evident this year, I think on top of um, uh, a newly found global conflict in Ukraine, um, 
the you know inflationary moment, uh, redistricting chaos, uh, COVID uncertainties. Voters were exhausted. Roe v. Wade pullbacks. Voters were exhausted and also really questioning whether government was a stabilizing force in our lives or a disruptive uh, force in our lives. And we heard that in conversations with, with people up and down the state. I think what was so powerful about Jumani and Ana Maria's campaign was their ability to really connect with voters on what was most pressing and clear in their lives and the ability to break down big ideas such as alternatives to policing, such as investing in, in social supports and, um, and have people reflect and understand how that's connected to the conversations they have in real life with their with members uh, in their communities. Um, what we need to practice, or what the Dem Democrats need to practice in particular, is how do we animate a base? Um, we don't have a boogeyman as an opponent. Um, we have seen here that people got very riled up. We're talking about Cuomo. We're talking about anti-Cuomo, and the party is kind of sticking it to Cuomo. We see that people can rise up and be in collective action against Trump. Um, we have our highest levels of participation. It's clear what our opposition is. And what we're trying to do in the state in particular is to build a big tent um, uh, on top of a shared affirmative vision that people get clear about the role the government can and should play in people's lives. That I think is the work we want to do fundamentally with the governor. That's work that we've had success in doing with the Democratic supermajority under Andrew Stewart Cousins' um, leadership, putting forward a vision for universal child care, deep investment in, um, in figuring out bold solutions to the climate crisis, not running away from conversations about racial justice and the criminal legal system, but actually taking a moment to not respond to dog whistles uh, and pander uh, in, in, a, in any way, but actually rely on the data and the lived experiences of it. So what we're looking forward to doing with the Democratic majority in New York State, with the governor and her allies in the legislature, is to put forward that affirmative vision uh, of a New York that leaves no one behind, of a New York that meets people where they're at, um, where we don't see flight that's happening of working class people, right? We're always talking about this fear of billionaire flight in New York state that has no basis in data. We're actually seeing our New Yorkers going to the Poconos and upstate because they can't afford to live um, to live in New York. And so that I think is the relationship that we're seeking to build when it's grounded in that shared agenda and policy. And that's a long arc uh, and but we're committed. We're all hands on deck to get us to that point. What's the status of the Working Families Party coalition? There was this um, this marriage of of progressive uh, activists, nonprofit groups, and labor unions um, under Governor Cuomo. He put uh, pressure on several labor unions to leave the WFP coalition. I'm not sure if any of those have have come back post Cuomo, which is. 14 months uh, now since he's resigned. What's the status of that coalition with labor? Are there labor unions that that left the WFP that have come back or that you're still trying to get to come back? What's what's the sort of broad status of that um, coalition and, and how you've either uh, been able to or unable to sort of repair some of it in the in the post Cuomo era here? Absolutely. So I think there's definitely been um, repair, conversation and partnership with labor. Labor that's inside the party 
um, represent some of the most, you know, essential and central workers across the state. We have the teachers, um, the state teachers in the party, the nurses are in the party, UAW, Teamsters. Um, so we have formal traditional labor. And we have lots of organizations that represent um, uh, non-formally organized labor, um, you know, make the road who has street vendor project and deliveristas and carrying majority, it's a lot of care workers. Uh, so we still see ourselves as a strict, a strong pro-labor party. For, for unions that are outside of the party, we seek to partner on elections and races. Um, Juan Ardila, who was just elected as a Working Families Democrat, joining the assembly from Ridgewood, Queens, uh, that was a partnership of Working Families Party and Progressive Labor. Similarly, Leah Webb, a longtime Working Families Party activist who's running now in the Binghamton Ithaca area um, in the newly created state Senate seat, we see the partnership with labor. With Senator Gustavo Rivera, when Bronx County uh, you know, stood in opposition to uh, Gustavo Rivera's reelection campaign, um, HTC, you know, the Hotel Trades Council, uh, nurses, laborers, um, the Working Families Party worked together as an informal coalition, a coalition around our candidate. And so we definitely look to partner with progressive and values aligned labor in many ways wherever we can. In terms of formal partnerships, um, we're, we are open and are having those conversations, recognizing that the landscape has shifted a lot in New York State. When our party was built, our primary opposition was Republicans. And so the clear line um, was brighter, right? Together with labor, we're working to defeat and oppose Republicans. In this moment, this exciting moment where the party takes on the role often of fielding challengers, um, of opposing established condemns in some ways, we recognize that it puts labor in a different, a different positions and that labor itself is not always aligned in one block. And so we are building those partnerships very eagerly, very intensely um, to get towards a, a shared agenda. I'll just say one more thing on, mm -hmm. you know, when we pass taxes on the wealthy in 2020, Right, that was the outgrowth of a longtime campaign and collaboration with labor um, to, you know, to um, address wealth inequality. Uh, and so that campaign, the community groups in WFP, whereas invest in our New York, labor had a parallel, closely coordinated revenue um, campaign also to address uh, tax on the wealthy and um, inequality. And so there are ways in which the partnership uh, continues to work to advance shared interests. Mm -hmm. How do you describe for people right now in New York, you know, sort of what the what the Working Families Party is? Is it a progressive sort of seal of approval? Is it, um, you know, something of a sort of like, um, you know, political uh, sort of uh, consultancy and organizing entity? Um, obviously, you retain your ballot line, you're a political party, you can run candidates, but you mostly... Uh, almost exclusively still, you know, run the Democratic nominee. So how do you sort of describe for people your role in New York and, and how you sort of see yourself in the political, um, on the political playing field? So we, our vision, we fundamentally believe uh, in our hearts that the people should govern and not corporations. Um, our party's role is to achieve governing power, right? The ability for everyday people to see their agenda be enacted in government. We do that in a number of ways. As a political party, our primary strategy is electoral. Uh, and so we seek to recruit, uh, to run 
and to elect working people champions up and down the state who will enter into government and advance an agenda of affordable housing for all, of a real response to climate crisis, of um, rising wages that meet uh, the economic moment, uh, a real working people's agenda in office. In the moments that we are, we see that there is um, an incredible hunger and excitement in the on the ground of people to see community members who reflect their um, elite experience, who, are, who reflect their values, represent them in office. And so primarily our role right now is to ensure that we are seeding candidates and supporting candidates to ascend into City Hall um, or uh, into Albany or into Washington, Washington D.C. Uh, so we are a multiracial progressive political party that seeks to use all the levers in our toolbox, which include our ballot line, um, which conserved the margin of difference. And we're thinking about how it gets used this year. It was the margin of difference um, in Pat Ryan's special election campaign, right, in the Hudson Valley. Um, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier on, there's, there are moments where we run a campus WPLI only, like Tish James for city council. That is, that is a way that we use our party, given the two-party system and the, very, uh, and the fact that Democratic primary is the primary contest for power in New York State. We think it is our, our duty to ensure that the most progressive candidate emerges from the Democratic primary and a seat ascends into office to represent the people on the people's agenda. Um, we're also grassroots, sorry, we're also grassroots party, which means we have chapters and clubs all across the state where people do the politics themselves, where they interview, they endorse their candidates and have real relationships of partnership, accountability, um, and um, uh, and contestation when necessary with their elected officials. So let's let's talk about that ballot line since that was a lot of of uh, what I focused on in the intro. Yes. And let's come back to it here. Um, so, do you have a projection for how many votes for the Hochul Delgado ticket you think you need on the WFP line to keep that? Um, is it going to be? the um the 130,000 is it going to be 2% of some other forecasted number that you think you know will will mean a, a higher total do you have a sort of target number and what's the effort like to make sure that people are voting on the WFP line for the Hochul Delgado ticket um as I mentioned, there's now only the four political parties in New York officially um, because of those new requirements and, and, and several parties losing their ballot line in 2020. So now there's four ballot lines that are automatic. Um, people can petition their way onto the ballot, but that also got harder. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, row A on the ballot is Democratic, B, Republican, C, Conservative, D, Working Families. Um, so what's your forecasted number and what are you doing to hit it? So turnout um, took a hit across uh, across the country in New York this year. It is our interest as you know pro democracy um, fires and leaders that turnout is higher, right? We do not want to see a disengaged electorate, um, and so we are really pushing for turnout to be high uh, to be higher, even if it might uh, kind of negatively negatively affect this um, threshold that was put on us. The threshold now is one hundred thirty thousand votes or 2%, whichever is higher. We are aiming for 200,000 votes on our on our line this year. 
In 2020, with the same threshold, we hit um, close to 400,000 New Yorkers who chose to vote for Biden and Harris with a message of, we want a party and we want our, a government who taxes the rich to invest in the public good, who, um, you know, who has a real response to the COVID crisis that ensures that all of our communities move ahead together. We want to make sure that our party line was a way to vote um, their values and that energy that helped propel us to legislative wins in, in 2021. We want to continue this, you know, this is a winning formula, continue this calculus of electoral mandate and energy translating into real material gains for working people once in the legislative year. And so we are talking to voters up and down the state uh, in this moment. We're seeing, you know, a lot of people saying, we haven't heard from Democratic candidates yet, but we've gotten Working Families Party material or text. We are not taking anything for granted in this moment because we have to uh, protect the, our progressive party in New York State and we have to defeat right-wing extremism in New York. We are progressives. We can chew gum and walk at the same time. We have twin missions this year, which we're taking very seriously. So I hope people are, are getting the text messages that we're sending. The phone calls are seeing us... Um, postcard and palm card at their subway stations and farmers markets. We're going to community centers in Buffalo and in Bay Ridge. Like we are everywhere talking to voters about what is at stake in this election uh, and how to be a more active a participant uh, in their democracy. And so we're urging people to vote row D. Um, last year, last time we got more votes than the conservative party did uh, on their, on our line, but the gubernatorial year is the year that um, uh, parties are formally qualified. So whoever gets the most votes might move up, you know, might move up a row. Mm -hmm. But this year we are on row D and we're urging people to find us on row D. Vote for Hoko Delgado on that line. Speaking of that, you know, um, I haven't seen all the materials, certainly, or I've barely seen any that that the Hoko campaign might be putting out. And there's some questions around whether they're putting out enough, as you just got at. People are saying they haven't heard from the Democratic Party, but they've heard from the WFP, perhaps. Um, maybe maybe come back to that in a second in terms of the, the strategies of the Hoko campaign. But one of the things we've seen in the past, um, you know, from certain candidates is candidates themselves saying, hey, vote for me on the WFP line, you know, send a message or candidates saying, hey, vote for me, but really, you know, make sure you vote for Biden Harris on the WFP line, because that's what really matters for keeping keeping the ballot line. Um, Is there any effort from, you know, any discussion, any effort from the Hochul campaign themselves to say, hey, please vote for me on at least saying either the Democratic or the WFP line. Is there anything like that that you've been trying to negotiate with them to send out to even remind people that that's an option that she's okay with, you know, that type of thing? So the governor took our line, you know, came before our members and interviewed for our line. And she's our candidate right now. And we're doing everything in our power to ensure that people vote um, on our line. Should she be asked, she'll say that she's on the Working Families Party line. Our focus right now really is to get progressives, to get young people, get voters of color, maybe who quite feel disengaged by the Democratic Party to put their lot, you know, to put their lot in with um, the Democrats on top of the ticket right now uh, and to do so while also voting their values. So we see ourselves as, you know, both picking up the, you know, New York should never become a battleground state, uh, whatever, you know, whatever the calculation there is or whatever our postmortems will be. Progressives are taking it very seriously. In many ways, are picking up the slack of a very chaotic process um, uh, this year and ensuring that people turn out to vote. Um, 
what we're seeing this year is that our longtime partners, whether it's um, Chuck Schumer, who understands the importance of building the center left uh, uh, and, you know, a progressive coalition or Jerry Nadler or Letitia James and everyone else who's on the WP line down ballot is firmly and proudly saying to find them on the Working Families Party line and also urging people, you know, to vote for the governor as people get to know, you know, get to know her more. And so we see ourselves as part of this big coalition. We see our mission and our um, our uh, role to be quite uh, specific and necessary to ensure that voters who are not being spoken to actually turn out to vote. And so that's what uh, our focus is. Um, and we're saying, you know, I know that the governor is focusing on uh, getting a broad-based message to uh, voters who may not, who might be strange to the Republican Party, you know, away from the Democratic Party and is trying to stitch up all of those constituencies. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned the idea that sometimes, you know, the votes on the WFP line for a candidate could sort of be the margin of victory. I'm wondering if you have any, you know, sort of polling or you have any evidence that says, you know, sort of like coming out to vote as urged by the WFP or being able to vote on the WFP line for the candidates, also the Democratic nominee is something that's really, you know, is really making the difference or it's people who would vote for the Democratic nominee anyway, they would go to the polls. If the WFP line wasn't there, they would be, you know, marking the candidate on the Democratic line and and they're happy to do it on the WFP line to show sort of support and to show that they're, you know, progressive or, or whatever exactly it might be. Um, but when you talk about sort of providing the margin of victory, do you know, do we do you really have a sense that that's, you know, how that it's motivating voters in that way? It's definitely it's definitely a mix and it definitely depends geographically. So what we find in particular in take uh, Ulster County, where the party has actually performed quite well and where, um, you know, some voters are not are not self-described progressives. And we do you know, we do IDs and you could, you know, in our, in the voter database, you can see kind of what people's um, uh, kind of political ideology, ideology score is, right? Just like lean progressive, lean, Demo uh, lean conservative. How do people see their ideology um, and how does it connect to their, to their voting identity? So we definitely have a base of people who will always vote WFP, right? Period. Um, if, if no one was on the WFP line, they'd probably vote for a Democrat, um, but that is kind of their political persuasion. They're a group of people who get motivated for a particular candidate with strong messaging from the WFP. As we find in this moment in particular, we're calling people and people are quite dissatisfied with national politics, um, disaffected with the Democratic Party. They will reject a first no. We'll have this often talking to candidate campaigns uh, and, and um, hearing where they get stuck with voters. They will get no's. When we have a messaging that's about values, we have a messaging about a political party that allows you to vote your values, people do shifts. Um, that's both anecdotal and field data. You know, we're out there with Sarah Hanna Shrestha, who's uh, the assembly person who is within Pat Ryan's district. And she was reporting, her field director was reporting precisely the shift from no to okay. We vote for Democrat, no, disillusion with politics, XYZ reason. I'm also on the Working Families Party line. Let me tell you what that's about. And there is a shift. Um, so anecdotally and in terms of, you know, field engagement, we do know that there are many voters who get moved to participate because they don't feel like they're choosing a political party that's not aligned with them. I think there's a, another group of people um, who often, you know, 
um, who maybe who maybe just come in and like the sound of the Working Families Party, maybe would have been talked to us or touched by us, um, would have voted either way in some in some cases. In some more rural areas, we'll find people who are sometimes Republican voters who are um, who are uh, registered independent, and there's a little bit of maybe uh, they're more aligned on the economic issues, and they find our way to our ballot. We say there's a space and a role, you know, for everyone in our party that we try to focus on people who are very clear and move them into a values partnership with us. But yes, we're definitely seeing people who choose to vote on the line and would otherwise not participate in the electoral process. Mm. Um, on, on the on the issue of keeping the line and the requirements, you you also in the in this post Cuomo era, there's been one leg, legislative session in Albany. Was there any discussion about trying to reverse those heightened requirements? Was there any uh, real sense that that was something that could possibly you know be done either this past year or maybe you know in future years if if things go right? Is that something you're actively working on, or you feel like? you know what, we can meet these numbers and it might be better for us to have fewer, you know, political parties around. I think that's it. We know that we can meet these num- these numbers, which I think is why the urgency perhaps has been lessened from a, from a legislative standpoint. However, we believe that these laws are bad for democracy. We believe that we actually need a multi-party robust democracy where people can, um, you know, can mobilize to different political parties, can have multiple entryways from participation um, to address this real crisis of democracy that we that we have. These are also the most restrictive fusion laws in this country. And as you said very well in the opening, we also know that this is the outgrowth of retaliatory politics, right? So very much going to turn the page on Cuomo era um, politics. This feels like one of the fixes that we that we have to move forward. So we are advancing legislation that is about better government that does not tie um, a party's qualifications to a specific office. Um, that reduces the number of times a party has to requalify every two years is a very high burden uh, mm-hmm. for a party to have. It used to be every four years. Um, uh, and um, that so- allows just more participation uh, in, what, in that way. What are the details of that legislation? It's It goes back to every four years or what's the... It goes back to every four years. Uh, it ties it to any statewide office, not just the governor's office. Um, in particular, we know that was Cuomo's intent to be that the, the rise and fall of the party lies with him alone. Um, uh, and uh, it makes it 130,000 or 2%, whichever is lower, which is also just better public policy. You, you need a... You need a you, goal for someone you, to aim for. Yeah, I, I hear you on on democracy and all that, but you, you kind of don't mind not having the Green Party around, right? I mean, that was like, you know, a little bit of that sort of competition on the left for votes. I mean, it, it, that, that, that you know, survival in, in survival mode, you, you have to sort of a little bit not mind having to compete for some votes with the Green Party, no? I we play different roles. We play really different roles. I think I did not believe the the um, arguments about kind of ballot clutter need to clean up our our ballot lines. I think we play a different role in the Green Party and that we are interested in governing power. We're not trying to spoil. I do think that the complication became in how we were explaining ourselves to voters as, as a different kind of minor party. But I I do think that um, we need multiple ways for people to participate in our electoral system, especially when uh, we are in a triple dense state, like we need more ways for people to see themselves in the process. Um, and we know that 
multi-party formations um, does, especially move younger younger voters and people who feel locked out or taken for granted uh, in a two-party system. So we are um, we're definitely pushing for um, this threshold for uh, our sake. It's still a high it's still a high and significant bar to show that you're a viable party. We are a viable party, and we get those numbers. But also, um, we believe it should not be a punitive or restrictive element. Uh, for a minor party to participate in in electoral politics in New York. You're listening to Max Politics here. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm speaking with Sochi Nemica, the director of the New York Working Families Party. As we're discussing here in this general election that's upon us, the Working Families Party and also the Conservative Party as the two sort of minor, smaller parties that still have a automatic ballot line are trying to make sure they keep it by having their nominees in the gubernatorial contest who are on a ticket with the lieutenant governor nominees, of course, to secure the requisite number of votes, which is either 130,000 or 2% of the total, whichever is higher. Uh, so we're discussing that and much more here with Sochi Nemica of the New York Working Families Party. All right, just a few more things I want to touch on with you in our, our last few minutes here together. Um, the WFP was was sort of center stage in this in around this um, contest for this new congressional seat in Manhattan and Brooklyn, the new 10th congressional district of New York, which, which is in effect for this election and goes into effect for governance starting in the new year after redistricting and this year's elections. Your candidate in the Democratic primary, Assemblymember Yuli Nu, who you referenced earlier, having been a, a, a major WFP success in her election to the Assembly originally, um, came up just short against Dan Goldman, the winner of the Democratic primary. And there was a lot of discussion around whether you would, in one of these rare instances, run your own candidate in the general election, put Yuli Nu on your ballot line here for this general election and try to win a seat in Congress just on the WFP line. The decision was made not to do that. Give us a little insight into how hard or not hard you were pushing on that. Were you trying actively to convince Yuli Nu to give it a go in the general election? Who who is sort of more for it? And and what do you think now with the um you know with the benefit of a few months since then of uh of you know what happened and whether it was the right decision? So I'll say that um we, you know, we endorse Eileen because um, our members really thought she was the best candidate and she was really committed to uh, her, her role in Congress that could shape the kind of world that we want. She ran a really hard race, as you imagine, both the number of weeks that the race were, the fact that it was after redistricting scuffled, the fact that she was spent by literally you know, millions of dollars and faced quite intense and violent um, um, uh, attacks. We were in lockstep and we have a really solid partnership. She's been a long-term Working Families Party ally. Her first race ever for assembly was on the Working Families Party line um, alone. And then she ran, you know, and won on the Democratic Party line. So there's a deep relationship of trust and collaboration there. Together, we felt that the political moment was not right, uh, as we knew, as the primary contest in New York and around the country became red versus blue and really pushing back. Trumpist extremism across the country. Um, uh, as dark money has completely taken over our politics, we're already we're facing an independently incredibly wealthy opponent, but also then the partnership, uh, the presence of dark money in that race uh, made it just un, 
even terrain to run on. And so we have to both, you know, hold our values, our vision, our hunger to do big things and also the political reality of the, of the moment. And we're asking partners, um, our candidate volunteers to go up against in this moment we had um, to focus and train our eyes on a big fight ahead that already take tremendous resources and time and focus of the party and of New Yorkers writ large. Uh, and so none of these decisions are easy. She's a fantastic, should be a fantastic member uh, of Congress. Um, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you must have had some inklings of really wanting to give it a go though, right? I mean, she came so close. It spoke again to um, questions around whether progressives need to consolidate around a candidate, yes. especially without ranked choice voting. Right, this harkens back, yeah. of course, to the mayoral race. Some, but yeah. we won't have time. We won't have time for that retrospective today. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I would love to would love to talk to you about that. Um, but you, you you must have had some urges to really really give it give it a shot. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the fact is that we believe that you know there are multiple types of Democrats with real ideological cleavages between them. And those cleavages um, deliver different policy priorities for uh, for working people. I do think that in her stance against big money and, and real estate money, uh, in centering the, uh, the grassroots and really talking about the importance of identity, but the limitations of identity, um, that she would have shown up as a different brand of a congressperson. Um, I also do think it reflect it, it um, revealed or made even more clear the multiple crises in democracy, the fact that big money is able to flood our politics. Um, I, we're very personally against self-funding. We're personally against um, your know, for campaign uh, finance limitations. Well, we're against uh, loopholes in many ways. And so we do think this is a moment for us to really think about the ways in which our democracy gets undermined um, by the deep wealth inequality in our in our states. It made the focus even more clear about structural reform that is necessary um, to shift our politics uh, in this moment. But also we have to be non-delusional about the power that we have in the moment that we're in and make choices uh, that actually do advance our overall cause uh, and ensure that we're not stringing people along um, uh, when there are other fights that we need to be fighting. So of course, we've thought long and hard about it, uh, and it could have been a fun campaign, but now they're recognizing the moment we're in right now, and the fact that Zeldin's within points of Hochul, I kind of feel like we made the right choice. Okay. Last two questions. Um, we won't get into the retrospective on the mayoral race of, of 2021. Are you starting to prepare, or do you have thoughts on trying to um, run a strong primary against Eric Adams in 2024? That would be the type of thing. I know you're focused on this year's elections. I know you might just say that that's all you're focused on. But uh, taking that answer off the table, um, you know, that's the type of thing you hear grumblings about on the left, of course, the more, you know, moderate mayor with some conservative positions. He's got a mix of positions, obviously, but, um, you know, that in order to have any shot in a primary against him, you know, the left would have to really start getting organized behind a candidate pretty early and somebody would maybe have to declare, you know, pretty far out, that type of thing. Is that something that the Working Families Party is closely looking at? We're definitely looking at the balance of power in New York City. Um, We were behind many candidates in the city council. Um, We did not endorse Eric Adams last year. you know, rent is like the single biggest cost right now that families face. And somehow New York City this year 
um, uh, increases in rents were approved. Like we need to have the back of working people uh, and we're seeing the asylee case, uh, asylee crisis. Uh, we're seeing, you know, rising rents. We're seeing the continued comfort and partisanship of the ultra wealthy um, to make New York City their playground again. Um, we're seeing cuts to education uh, budget. So we're seeing an agenda that does not seem to reflect the demands and the needs of working people in New York. And so um, I do not think that the mayor is meeting the moment. Um, and I believe that it's incumbent on progressives and also just New Yorkers writ large and the political class writ large to really think about the multiple crises that we face in New York City and who will meet the moment um, in terms of leadership and, and governing. And so uh, it is on it is on us, it is our duty to ensure that we uh, have a mayor uh, and we have the power to elect a mayor um, that puts working people first. All right, we'll come back to that another time. Last question, and we'll say goodbye. Uh, zooming way back out, the sort of status of the progressive movement here in this general election. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk. Uh, you know, progressives have gotten Democrats in trouble. You know, in some of these general elections that are tight, the uh, defund the police. You know, people are calling that. They, you know, this was a disaster for Democrats, and you have all these moderate candidates who are you know sort of running away from from that slogan and, and that movement. Uh, you know, Kathy Hochul, for example, uh, running on your line is going around the state saying no one no one says defund the police in my presence. In fact, we're adding funding to the police. Um, that is just one prominent specific example. But broadly speaking, the sort of role of the of the progressive movement, the Working Families Party in these general elections that matter so much in New York, balance of power in the House, balance of power in the state Senate on the line. Um, where is the where is the progressive movement, the WFP, in terms of, um, you know, sort of playing a role in these general elections where some of the moderate Democratic candidates are keeping the progressive movement at arm's length and so forth. How are you sort of thinking about um, your role, the WFP role, the progressive movement role in these major, um, you know, sort of uh, general election contests that are going to shape so much of this state and this country's future? So, you know, I think we look at this very closely, right? Because we are not uh, trafficking in, you know, taglines or hot takes, right? We are taking very seriously the um, importance of ensuring that the that the state and that the you know U.S. government is reflecting where people are, right? Redistricting has made New York the principal battleground state for control of the House, and we've seen um, recent polling that suggests that, um, you know, obviously recent polling shows that. Um, you know, all of this, these districts really hang in a, a balance. This, however, does not represent a right-wing surge um, or New Yorkers embracing conservative values, right? We have done polling to see that uh, people actually believe that government is doing too little, not too much. People believe that the government is controlled by the wealthy and corporations. Uh, people see and want um, a strong progressive agenda that invests in housing and mental health and services for seniors and healthcare, right? These are the messaging. This is the messaging that we're putting forward in this moment. And we're urging, encouraging Democrats to lead on and to meet people uh, where they um, where they are. Democrats desperately need a closing argument, one that's rooted in the moment that we're in uh, and what, what 
what voters are so desperate and hungry for. Um, we need to not be fighting on Republican uh, turf and language and being in this oppositional battle um, uh, and trying to, you know, outdance people to the right, but actually put forward a clear and convincing and affirmative um, vision. Uh, so we believe that voters are looking for government to step up with a plan and a vision. That is what we are encouraging and partnering with Democrats to do as part of our shared coalition um, here in the general election um, and talking to voters, whether it is in Pat Ryan's district um, or Josh Riley's district further up north, uh, we know that the message resonates, uh, but they're being flooded by fear mongering and we have to not get caught in um, in that swirl, right? Of, of, of fear and hate right now that's coming from the GOP and actually put forward a vision uh, for what, what government looks like uh, when they actually put working people front and center. That's what our focus is, but we're also in deep alignment and engagement with movement for putting forward moral cries uh, um, and ensuring that um, you know people are not left behind or taken for granted. Uh, but those two themes don't come in conflict with each other, I believe. Yeah, listen, we're going to leave it there, but there's there's a lot of interesting discussion we didn't even get into, you know, about sort of uh, uh, the, the the strategic choices around sort of trying to juice up the base versus try to mm -hmm. find those, you know, elusive swing voters or those people in the middle who Absolutely. may or may not vote. And, you know, a lot of a lot of interesting questions there. There's, you know, people who look at. Uh, uh, candidates from, you know, Governor Hochul to Sean Patrick Maloney to others and say, you know, or Max Rose, you know, stop chasing, as you say, some of the sort of like center right voters um, or center voters and, you know, lean into the base and, and you know, turn out the base. I mean, th there's some really interesting, interesting questions around that. And I think you spoke to some of that and we'll we'll chat more another time about more of this. Fantastic. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Ben. Sochi Nemeka is the uh, director of the New York Working Families Party. Sochi, thanks for all the time. Uh, be well, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Be well.